everybody. Welcome back to an episode of Stories from a Mountain Town. Um, today with me, I have John Cameron, right? That's your last name? This is yeah, two episodes it. in a row that I've like, I know the, their last name and then I get up to where I introduce them and I forget the last name. Like it, I get, I doubt that I have it right, but John Cameron, everyone is here. Uh, John, tell a little bit, everyone about a little bit about yourself. Hey, so I'm in Salida, Colorado and we're right in central Colorado, an hour south of Breckenridge, right on the Continental Divide in this little ski town. And so here I am, I enjoy skiing. I actually run a bookshop in town, but oh, cool. um, I started doing a lot of the ski stuff and I've worked in the outdoor and the ski industry for like a decade, probably a little bit more than that now. And uh, I really just enjoy touring. With this whole like COVID thing going down, I ended up not ski patrolling this year. And what that did is gave me a whole lot of opportunity to, um, start touring and doing a little bit more backcountry skiing than I have in years past. So here I am, um, touring it up, I guess. Yeah. How long have you been into ski touring as a whole? So the way I got into this whole thing is after I graduated college, um, I had never skied before. I grew up in a place that didn't have skiing and, I got a job at a ski area as a ski instructor and I had never skied. And so the guy, we were on the phone with the job interview at Rapo Basin and uh, like, you like kids, you like skiing and you like teaching, then you're hired. It's an extreme. I had never done it. I was a total cliche. I was skiing with two and three-year-old kids on the bunny slope and I had like the best season ever. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. And that kind of got me into the whole idea of the um, winter ski industry. You know, I'd already worked a lot of stuff, outdoor uh, pursuits and things like that. But that was my first time getting into skiing. And it really started there. Um, I started backcountry skiing my very first season. And I made a ton of mistakes. I made every single mistake that you could possibly make in the backcountry. Um, and I'm lucky that I'm here and my friends are here. Um, to be able to continue to do that because we risked everything to go touring on Loveland Pass and had no clue what we were doing. And so here we go, fast forward, whatever it is, 12 years later, 13 years later, and I was out ski touring uh, in the beginning of December and I'm hiking up and I've got all this stuff after 12 years of uh, ski patrolling and working in the outdoor industry and the seasonal work. Uh, I've got all this knowledge of backcountry touring, uh, snow science, snow safety, and things like that. And I realized that what I should be doing is telling my 22-year-old self how not to get yourself killed, how to stay safe in the backcountry. And so I just had a couple really quick ideas. And I was new to TikTok, too, because everyone's like, you know, we're in the shutdown. Yeah. All these kids are into it, right? Mm -hmm. So I get to the top of the mountain and get cell service, like two bars, and I reserve uh, Backcountry 101. Uh, and make a TikTok page. And I made the first video about boot heel risers, a really yeah. simple, basic piece of equipment um, on your ski binding and, and just threw it out there. And, and I got a little bit of response to that and realized that, hey, people I think would be interested in uh, backcountry skiing and backcountry touring. Definitely. Yeah, and that's, that's how I was... So it kind of grew pretty quick there after just, you know, two months we were in February. And uh, yeah, lose you? I still got audio. Yeah, audio is pretty choppy there. Start the third that sentence over. I forgot what I said. Where was I? Um, just talking about how you started to get a good response from, from your TikToks and, and, it seemed that people wanted to hear about like backcountry tips. Right. So after that, I made the page, uh, posted a couple things and started getting a really good response. And it kind of just grew from there. And it's been a lot of fun to be able to go out and shoot these videos and put yeah. that, that knowledge out there. Yeah. And that's where I was introduced to you myself. I was on TikTok and because the TikTok algorithm is so wonderful, me posting ski content and watching ski content. I was, you know, you came up like a handful of times and you kept, you know, you see one-offs of people like saying one little aspect of backcountry safety or skiing or something. And you don't really, I didn't, I don't really follow them, but then you kept coming up and you kept coming up with really good advice. 
and little good little tips. And what, what like really made me want to follow you and keep looking into your stuff is um, a lot of people, when they start to talk about avalanche safety, if they start to come off a little bit snotty and they're like talking down to you, if you don't know as much as them or don't have much experience, but you were never that you were always just like, you weren't talking down. It was just like, here's some valuable information that'll keep you safe or just help you have more fun. And that was, that was really what I was like, okay, I need to check this guy out. And then I was like, I should message him and see if he wants to come on the podcast. That's awesome. So I, I think that comes back to the, the audience that I chose for this thing specifically from the very yeah. beginning. Like I said, it was like a young version of me that was making a bunch of mistakes, you know, because there is no gatekeeper to the backcountry and there shouldn't be any gatekeeper to skiing because skiing already has a pretty bad kind of reputation for that gatekeeping thing. It's like expensive and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And so people are already like a little bit turned off by, by skiers. And the same thing happens in the backcountry. Yeah, there's this level of like knowledge that's required, but people also don't want to give away their stashes. People are worried about, you know, the entire front range of Denver, like coming up and skiing on your spot. But look around, man, there's tons of room. There's plenty of places to go ski. You can go ski anywhere you want, right? Yeah. And I think what it is, is that it's more important that people do it safely. People are going to go backcountry skiing. It's huge. You know, with resorts shutting down, you've seen those lines at Vail that are like horrendous, you know, yeah. like it's like bigger than a concert waiting to get on a chairlift. And can I, can I ask well, a question people, about that one about Vail? Yeah. Lines? So yeah. I've never skied at Vail. I've been there in the summer. Um, is there like, is there like one lift that brings people back to the base that you like have to go to at the end of the day? Like, why is it always so, so long? Like, cause even our base here won't be that big on a pow day. Like, why is that lift specifically the one that so, gets so big? Yeah. So kind of imagine like Breckenridge, it's, it's on like a, a giant range and it's kind of spread left to right. If you look at the trail map, it's spread yeah. left to right. Vail and Keystone are kind of spread out front to back, right? So you uh -huh. have to ride lift after lift after lift to get deeper into the mountain. And then you have to turn around and kind of reverse yourself on the way back. Yeah. And I've only skied Vail a few times. I haven't skied it that much. And there is one particular spot where you've got a lot of runs that kind of drain into a lift that you got to get out of there. And so there's a few places where you could just start piling up people. And that's where all these like photos are coming out of. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people are skiing right now, you know, it, it feels like a safe thing to do during COVID. Um, but people look at that and they're like, no, thanks. You know, I'm going to not pay $200 to go do that. And to stand um, in line. Yeah. Yeah. I'll buy a pair of skins instead. And so what I think is that like, I kind of anticipated that this would be a big season for backcountry skiing because a couple factors, COVID, the terrible crowds, the price of entry to skiing at a resort, you know, you can get yourself a pretty decent setup for two days at a resort. <laughs> you know, it's all a cost to, yeah. to get yourself set up for backcountry. Yeah. So there's people that are going out and that's not really going to change. What I would like to see is like fewer people making those like really beginner mistakes because every single one of these accidents is tragic. Um, and I'm not out there to try to like, you know, I'm not trying to change the world or, you know, honk my own horn here, but like there's this knowledge that it's really easy to share. We've got great tools, great platforms that we can get this information to people mm -hmm. that can actually really make a difference, you know, because I've been at the trailhead and stuff and seen people going up with sleds and, um, you know, they're just kind of even playing on the sides of the road and that's back country, you know, like that's dangerous. Every yeah. single kid in Colorado, I think fifth grade, and this happens in Utah too. There's this, uh, they get a, a free ski pass in Colorado. And I think Utah and a couple other places will do, um, kind of like really basic snow training in schools because kids are recreating out there and, um, accidents happen. And so I think the more people that are aware of, uh, the potential for accidents to happen in the snow, um, the better, you know? So this is one way that can really help kind of spread that information. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw it here too. Um, when COVID hit, when all the resorts closed, it was like overnight. So Teton Pass is the main area here and in the park. Um, 
it was like overnight it was like five times as crowded and it was people that you could tell they were you know renting backcountry setups or they had brand new backcountry setups they didn't know their equipment and even i had to experience like a, a I was on the way out of a, an area with my buddies and we see this, this girl like kind of like walking in like chest deep snow, like out of a, some a thickly forested area. And we stop and we like make sure she's okay. And she had like gotten totally lost and she was not a good skier. And it was like, not even a very complex area she was in, but just like people like that inexperienced people that go out for some reason, I think that's just, just the easy way to do it now and the only way to do it. Yeah. And so like that gatekeeping, this idea that, um, you know, backcountry is kind of for us, you got to learn the knowledge, you got to figure it out kind of thing. Um, you know, that hurts because it hurts the sport. And I think the more people that can stay safe in the backcountry, the better for the, the sport of skiing, you know, because this stuff makes news. That thing that happened in Utah uh, a week or two ago, you know, that was a mass casualty. There was a lot of folks that got taken down in that thing. And here's the truth of it, though. The more the more that you know about backcountry skiing, the higher level of training that you have, the more classes that you've taken, the more likely you are to be caught in an avalanche. And so it's a little bit paradoxical in that way. You know, here we're trying to like share this information with people who are new to the sport. But in the reality is the people that know the most about the sport are the most likely to be caught in these situations. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend, and I just took, we took our, uh, Abby one class here uh -huh. in, uh, December. And one of the stats that they shared, like right at the end, we had got done with our day of skiing and we were like almost at the parking lot. And he was like, all right, guys, congrats. You all passed. Like, here's your certificates. And, uh, as an, as a, a fact to, to, to leave you with, you're now in the highest risk group, uh, to be caught in an avalanche out of anybody. Yeah, exactly that's and that's really scary you know so the worst thing that you could do is know just enough to get yourself into a high danger area you know so there's this like there's this little line where you don't know anything so you're probably not going to go out mm -hmm. there's this line where you take the avi one so you feel comfortable kind of venturing out but you also don't know enough to avoid everything, you know, like, yeah, there's this, there's this learning curve. And right in this point of the learning curve where you feel confident enough to go backcountry skiing, that you actually start going on and taking a little bit more risk. And I think that's where that risk group comes from. And yeah, yeah, it's scary. I think about that all the time. You know, I'm constantly having to reevaluate um, the hazard that I'm willing to, to, and I'll tell you right now, it's extremely low. <laughs> My tolerance for risk is extremely low. Yeah, totally. And um, there's been there's been skiing a lot of stuff sometimes. Say that again. I don't know. Let me close a couple browser windows or something. Okay, it's all good, man. Um, yeah, I was gonna say um, it's been. It's happy. been uh, getting a little bit worse here. We've had a, a couple accidents in the last week or so, a couple deaths. Um, so for for a while here in the Tetons, we were thinking that our snowpack was a little bit safer. And then reality kind of yep. hits us with all the people being out. And like we have as, you know, as much hazard as any other range does. Yep. You know, and that's part of being in the continental snowpack. As far as I know, I haven't watched your snowpack up there very much this year but knowing what i know about the temperature and the snowfall um it's pretty similar to colorado i mean there's not a whole lot of reasons it would be much different in most yeah, years they say they um so what we learned what i learned in in our class was we have like the tetons have a snowpack that's not fully continental but it's also not um what is it maritime it's kind of a blend of the two because a lot of our storms come in from like uh the seattle and the san francisco area okay. so there's a lot of moisture coming from those so it's kind of a blend where it, it has characteristics sure. of both um, yeah so that would be like intercontinental that's a lot like salt lake gets yeah they're called like an intercontinental snowpack because it's not quite continental like colorado and it's definitely not maritime yeah but they also have massive lake effect and that's why the cottonwood canyons especially last week, they just got slammed because you get this lake effect that starts triggering off of the Great Salt Lake. Yeah. And they've got this little weather anomaly. And they, that's why they just get hundreds of inches of snow a year. 
And so, yeah, it sounds like Jackson gets a little bit of that moisture from the Pacific Northwest that would uh, contribute more to your snowpack than what we would get here. And uh, deeper snowpacks are good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's So the way it works is there's like a mountain range kind of on, on the western side of the Tetons in Idaho that kind of go points kind of north to the northwest, kind of an angular. And mm-hmm. it works as a funnel. And there's like another mountain range kind of on the north. I think it's maybe the sawtooth range, but they kind of, there's like this kind of funneling effect of these few mountain ranges that like funnels these storms right to the Tetons from yeah. the Pacific ocean. So that's kind of how we get that a little bit, that moisture content. And that's something that I really like about skiing. And the more you get into it with uh, snow forecasting and weather forecasting and just straight skiing, the, all of these conditions that have to combine from like the universe, you have to be ready. You got to be on the mountain. You got to yeah. feel like you're ready to ski with the weather. Like when you time all these conditions to get like a great run and a great powder day and stuff like that, that's really cool to have all these things align. Yeah. Um, that's one thing that's really fun about skiing that I, I don't get in other sports. Like I love rock climbing too, mm-hmm. but you know, if it's sunny out, the rock is there. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, you know, rocks, you don't really have to time the universe. Something crazy happens. Yeah, and so timing these things, I guess surfers kind of get that too. But timing the weather with like your actions and your your place in it um, makes skiing really unique. And so the the more you get into um, touring and things like that, and snow forecasting, the more you're watching the weather, the more you're watching temperatures and snow. You're just making more ob- observations, and you become even more deeply connected to this whole entire system. And it just becomes more and more valuable to me um, the more time I spend with it because each moment that is really good is like extra good. I'm like, man, I can't believe all of these things aligned to make this moment happen. And yeah, that's another thing that, that makes backcountry skiing like really rich to me. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I got into it. So I've lived in Jackson. It'll be, it'll be two years in March that I've lived in Jackson. I, and I grew up in Minnesota, so not, I didn't really get that stuff there. Um, but I got a split board last winter for Christmas and started getting into some, some mild areas and started getting into the idea of, you know, walking up things and touring things and, and the gratitude that you feel when you're on the top of something or you get a really good run after like an hour of walking, you know, with a, you know, a snowboard or a backpack on, um, it really changed how I loved snowboarding. I used to love snowboarding because I could ride the tram and, you know, have do a ton of runs in a day and be totally beat. But now I love snowboarding in a different way because I can, I can really pick up on the mountain that I'm on. I can learn more about it because I'm walking up it. It, that reward is so much higher because I did just walk up it. And then there's this also this added further fitness level to it where now I'm in like, I'm in probably one of the best cardio shapes of my life right now because I didn't get a ski pass this year. So I probably have like 30 to 35 days of just of of touring instead of, Mm -hmm. instead of I'd probably have 25 resort days so far, you know? So it's really changed the way I love snowboarding, but to, but totally added to all the other reasons that I love snowboarding. Yep, and I think that's going to continue. I think the more people that um, that recognize that are going to get into the sport. Um, yeah, and there's just no way around that. So, yeah, I'm definitely not one of those people that that tries to like hide your stash or whatever. You know. Yeah. And, are you? You know. Have you have you seen um, a guy named his real name's Alex Gavick, but his Insta- his Instagram and his TikTok is Wild Wild Wasatch. Does he do a lot of forecasting? No, he does. Like he does. Um, you mentioned that his GoPro set kind of, you like kind of mentioned his GoPro setup in one of your videos. He does like the 360 GoPro like mm. back here. I don't know if you can see my camera, but yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like splitboarding down these these really cool couloirs and it's a really cool angle. Look him up if you if you haven't. But um, he used to live in Salt Lake and recently moved up here, um, and he's been going through these issues of like this Teton territorialism, which is a phrase I think I just made up right there. I don't know if that's <laughs> real, but but people do get territorial here. And he was getting like messages from people saying like, dude, you're, you're, you have too big of an audience, too big of a following. Don't come up here and shoot videos. You're going to tell everybody about our spots. 
And he's just like so bummed out that he had to get that reaction because he's worked really hard to get that audience. It's a part of his income. And he's just doing, he loves snowboarding and he loves showing people snowboarding. So he's been really bummed out about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that's a little bit unfortunate, mm-hmm. but here's the deal, man. If you've got Google earth, you can ski anything that I skied, you know, there's yeah. nothing secret about it. Yeah. And, uh, it's just a mountain and it's just as much yours as it is mine. And yeah, there's no secret to it. So definitely. Yeah. It's if the, I it's see called- it, I'll just find a new spot. How about that? I'll just find a new spot. There you go. Yeah. It's called wilderness for a reason. Like it's out there. It's just wild. We have to leave it as is. And it's a national forest for a reason. Like it's mine as much as it is yours because we're both taxpayers, you know? Yeah, that's exactly that's, right. That's you the know? whole point of them being a national forest. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't have any concerns about that. Making the sport more popular. Really what you're doing is you're making more accessible. And yeah. No, yeah, I'm all I'm all for getting getting the word out about cool stuff and making people people are going into the backcountry safely and, and on the on the right days. And I think it's well, yeah, you're right. So I'm not really sure what the scene is at, in Jackson. I mean, we got a ton of stuff going on. I mean, tons of room down here in Central Colorado. Also in the Wasatch, I I first started uh, patrolling at Park City Mountain back before Vale owned it, and the Wasatch is an entirely different place too, because that's highly concentrated. You got mm-hmm. You got seven mountains that are basically right there, isn't it? Seven, I think, that are all really close to the point where they're even touching each other. Like the canyons, Park City, and Deer Valley, they all actually share a rope line with each other. So they're right in a line. And then you look down the backside and you got three more. And then you look, you know, there's not that much backcountry in the Cottonwood Canyons. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got a couple different zones, but there's a lot of people using a fairly limited resource there. Mm-hmm. And when I see ski area development and things like that in the Wasatch, yeah, it makes me a little bit nervous because that place is really developed and there's a lot of people already using that. Mm-hmm. We're in a little bit different situation when we've got Cottonwood Pass, Independence Pass, Monarch Pass. These are some pretty massive zones yeah. that, um, you know, they're fairly under the radar. And the thing about Colorado is you got to work, you got to walk a long ways to ski some of these lines. When you're in Little Cottonwood Canyon, you could park your car and uh, start booting straight out of the trailhead. Yeah. Right up the side of South Superior to do suicide or something like that. Mm-hmm. Suicide shoot. You know, you don't even put skins on because you could just boot the thing straight up. Yeah. But in Colorado, man, you go ski um, Elbert or any of these 14ers and stuff, and you're talking a 14-hour or 14-mile round trip um, ski tour. That's a long-ass ways. <laughs> Is and it like, so, is it like flats to get to the, the main peak or is it like, it's like a peak behind peaks that you just have to kind of navigate to? Well, you've got, even up in the, in the mountains here, uh, you know, we're at 7,000 feet and to get to the top of a 14 or you're only halfway there and they're just kind of like foothills. They're just endless foothills and they're mm. big kind of rolly mountains and you just got a pretty good distance to get. The prominence isn't there, right? Because the Tetons are super prominent. The yeah. cottonwoods are super prominent, but, uh, the mountains in Colorado are just plain big, you know, and you got to travel yeah. a good distance, um, to get those objectives. And I think that'll always kind of keep people in their place. You'll always, I mean, go look at, um, Loveland pass, which is right off the I-70 corridor, right next to the Eisenhower tunnel. Mm-hmm. That's super easy to access. Right. So mm-hmm. that's going to be slammed with people. You could just mm-hmm. do car laps. You just drop straight from the car and hitch or shuttle yourself back up to the top. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to get out into those zones, but the further you go, man, the fewer people you see. And that's probably always going to be the case. <laughs> yeah, so. definitely. Yeah. We have that too with, with Teton pass. We have, there's a parking, there's two parking lots kind of at the top, not a ton of, they're not very big, but um, just because you can go up there and you're at like 8,500 feet and then you can go right up to Mount glory. Have you ever been mm-hmm. up here to Jackson? You know, I've been over a few times. I've actually never skied it in the wintertime, but um, I've been through Jackson quite a bit. When we lived in Utah, man, we'd bump up there for all kinds of stuff, climbing, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So on the top of the pass on the north side of the road is Mount Glory. And that's the same thing. You can boot pack that and it's like 50 minute boot pack and then you can ride right right back down to your car Mm -hmm. or you go to the south side and you're on like uh, Teton Pass Ridge. And you can go and hit some other things or do some mild things and even do kind of the car lapping idea that, that you do at Loveland. 
Um, so that's been slammed pretty much since like COVID started. Uh, yep. And I've found my ways around it. There's other parking lots on the pass that are lower that aren't really, they're, they're kind of more for snowmobilers or um, go to a different area completely than Teton Pass or go up to like Togety Pass. Have you, have mm-hmm. you ever been up there or heard of that? Yep. Yep. I'm familiar with it all vaguely, you know. Yeah. Um, but what's, what a huge takeaway from that is, is yeah, it's busy. It's easy to accept, access. Uh, it's all still backcountry. Every bit of it yeah. is backcountry. You hear people talk about side country and stuff that's easy to access from either a ski resort or things that you access from the top of the pass or right out of the car. They call it side country or things like that. And I'm not a big fan of that, um, that idea like, or that concept. Like fluffing of what it really is. Yeah. 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 You're, you're, you're downplaying the hazard because it's still entirely unmitigated mm-hmm. and the hazards are all there. And so I think that we should just kind of get rid of the idea of a side country um, and just think yeah. of it as uh, busy backcountry or easy to access backcountry. I don't know what you want to call it. Just straight yeah. up call it backcountry yeah. because that's the mindset that you need to have when you approach um, skiing in areas like that. Even though we talk about how easy they are, um, the hazard's still there, you know, and I, I'm worried that people would, um, would perceive that it's safer than it is or not take it as seriously as they should. Um, you know, yeah. given that, that idea. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, we, yeah, we have like, for some, for some reason, we, the people that think that they hear side country or it's like right along the rope, they think that yeah. the safety is like a buffer outside of the rope a little bit, some sort yep. of buffering, but it's really not. It's like, it's at the rope is where their the safety stops 100%. Yeah. Yep, that's right. And there's a spot right at the flat stops right outside of the canyons are a perfect example of that. It's a super heavy, gnarly area, and uh, it gets people quite a bit that kind of get lulled into this, the idea of side country or a safer backcountry zone. Um, yeah, you know. And just to clarify, like I'm, I'm not a professional. I'm just a guy that um, that has this knowledge and that has has kind of built on this knowledge. Yeah, I worked in the field and I worked professionally. I guess, in snow safety and things like that, um, mm-hmm. and as ski patrol and as backcountry rescue and things like that. But right now, with all this thing, the stuff that I'm doing and this information that I'm putting out, it's just me, just a guy that's just mm-hmm. out backcountry um, and trying to share that with other people that, that kind of feel the same way. Um, so I'm not associated with any particular like group or organization or ski mountain, you know, because I keep name dropping all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah. You know, not associated with any of it. It's just me trying to kind of share the love when it comes to backcountry safety. Yeah. Uh, do you ever, um, so I, I do TikToks when I'm out touring as well. And I've, I've sometimes thought to like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be kind of cool if I like dug a pit and like kind of talked through what I'm seeing in there. Um, but I've always been reserved to like, to, you know, maybe not get something a hundred percent right or lead somebody in a way that could get, you know, could, could get somebody hurt. Do you ever, do you ever get worried about like doing that with something that you post out there? You do a good job of like prefacing stuff with saying you're not an expert and you're not, you don't want to comment on like uh, uh, accidents that happen, but do you ever get worried about stuff? People taking your videos kind of as, as, as gospel and going and doing something stupid. Sure. Yeah. Um, that is a concern, but here's the truth about that. What I want to do is share with people how to make these observations for themselves. I'm not out there making a forecast or, um, an observation or an assessment for anybody. What I'm doing is I'm making an assessment for myself on that slope at that moment on that day. Mm -hmm. But you can also take that information and make those assessments for yourself on your slope, wherever you happen to be, yeah. you know? And so I'm not, I, I have, I frequently will leave out my specific location when I do these TikToks and these videos, because what I want the focus to be is not necessarily that snowpack, but the, the way that I reached my assessment of that snowpack, yeah. you know? And so, and it also brings it to a, a, a broader audience. You know, if I'm like, here's a pit on Monarch Pass. You know, I dig a lot of pits on Monarch Pass, but what I want people to know is like, here is some snow on the side of a mountain. And here's what I'm looking at to help determine whether or not I should be on the snow on the side of the mountain. Yeah. And I think just kind of like laying the tools out there is going to help people make better choices. 
definitely. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the curriculum in our Abby one class. It was kind of the theme, kind of the theme was like, you got to take a lot of personal responsibility on if you're going to be a backcountry traveler. Um, yes. you get, you know, they say things like don't follow others. You don't, don't take just a skin track going in a direction as like the way to go. Don't take tracks on a slope as determining calling it safe. Uh, a point that you, you had in one of your recent videos I just watched before we started one of those accidents that happened, you said, look at how many tracks are below the slide and how many people cross that slope before it actually broke. Um, you know, so that doesn't mean that it's safe. And, you know, if I saw John make a video about a pit on a certain location, I can't just go say blindly, I can go to that location and ski something. Yeah. It's right? a, it's extremely specific to aspect, to elevation, yeah, to temperature. I mean, everything is, and it goes back a little bit to what we were talking about with like, you know, all these things need to come together at one specific time, you know, and you have to put yourself right there. And, you know, that requires a pretty, a pretty heavy like toolbox to be able to, to make all those observations and to make all those decisions for yourself. And when it comes to backcountry skiing, you are solely responsible for making those decisions because nobody's going to kind of tap you over on the shoulder and be like, Hey, you're doing it wrong. You know, because, that doesn't happen. You're just there doing it. And you need to make yeah. these choices for yourself. Um, yeah, there's there's like the infinite what ifs going on in your head when you're looking at stuff. So if it's like, okay, you know, like this, this snowpack looks okay. The report looks okay. But what if there was, there's been a ton of wind since the report came out? Or what if it's like an inversion? We get a lot of inversions here. But yep. like, mm -hmm. what if, the, you know, there's, there's all these what ifs you have to go through your head, you know, there's a bunch you do when you're thinking about your route and when you're planning your route, when you go, are going to the trailhead, when you're starting your tour, when you're on your tour, when you're about to drop in, there's like all these different segments of different what ifs that you have to go through in your head and you kind of have to be constantly rolling them around in your head, um, you know, basically until you get back to your vehicle to be like, yeah. okay, I can shut it down now. We're out. We're all safe. You know, let's do yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, you got to constantly keep your head on a swivel yeah. and think about this to freak yourself out. You could arrive at the top of a slope. You do your assessment. You do everything right. You ski yeah. the slope. Well, it just so happens that you didn't trigger an avalanche. That slide could have been waiting to happen, but you and your friends skied it. You got back to the car. Everything was fine, yeah. but you just didn't trigger the slide that was waiting in that slope, you know, and you got lucky. You're, you're making your best choices and you're making the best decisions with the information you have and you're managing the risk and to your best ability, mm -hmm. but the risk is always there. It's yeah. always there. So what do they say? What do we say? The, the dragon under the snow or whatever. You don't want to tickle the dragon or wake the dragon or something like that. Perhaps, you know, I mean, it's slow. It's snow sitting on the side of a slope, you know, it, mm -hmm. there's constant potential energy sitting in that thing. And yeah. you are just trying to determine to your best ability that you could ski that thing without unleashing that potential energy. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really scary to ski a slope and high five your buddies and think it's all great, but man, maybe you just got lucky, you know? And yeah, those are situations that I try to avoid. Like I said, I've got an extremely low tolerance for risk. And so I spend a lot of time skiing really low angle stuff, things mm -hmm. that I am um, very, very confident won't do that, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I don't want to get hurt and uh, I'm not yeah. willing to risk it. And I want to be there. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, all the reasons, right. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. yeah, I constantly even think about that too. Like, is this, is this worth the risk? Is this worth the risk? You got to be able to back down on stuff. And when you're going out with a group of friends, um, every single person has to feel confident enough to make those choices. If one person in your group, and this is super important, if yeah. one person in your group doesn't feel it, you got to turn around because that is valid. That's a valid reason to not to continue on. Um, and that's, that's a way to keep people safe is, is not fall into the trap of like, well, you know, two out of three think it's okay. Three out of four think it's okay. Maybe I'm just being a little bit, you know, maybe my risk tolerance is too low. You know, mm -hmm. you need to speak up and, and tell your buddies like, Hey, I'm not feeling it. We got to find something else. That's how you stay safe in the back country. Yeah. That's been a big adjustment for, I, I tour a lot with my girlfriend and we, we took the class together, 
but I've had more experience in the backcountry before the class and I've done more reading on it. And, you know, I talk, talk to guys like you, so I get a little bit more of the, the, uh, experience into it, but I, we've been out on, on a tour and I'm like, and she's, she kind of comes up with the, with the mind, the mentality of like, well, Tyler, if you think it's fine, it's probably fine. Like, but I'm like telling her like, no, if you don't, if you're not comfortable, you need yeah. to tell me we need to change this. Cause you're 50% of this team right now. It's us yep. and our dogs and they don't get a say, but yep. like you have the same level of like certified experience as I do. Um, and you're 50% of this team and you probably are a little bit smarter than I am or a little bit at risk mitigation. But so like you need to, she needs to, I, I tell her like, you need to speak up at like, I'll, I'll pull back if we need to pull back. Like I'm okay walking back to the car right now. Um, yep. And then we're and that's constantly, important. we're constantly bouncing back and forth between like that. And then she, she is pretty strict on like the, the 30 degree rule. And then I'm yep. like, okay, Taylor, then if not this slope, then where should we go or where can we go? And mm-hmm. we're constantly like, you know, a little bit of bickering, but now we've gotten better at discussing it in a, in a good manner. Yeah. And that's the, that's heuristics and crew resource management that plays into decision-making. There's yeah. massive studies about group dynamic and group decision-making mm-hmm. and that's how mistakes are made. You can't just assume that, you know, because somebody in the group thinks it's okay that it is, you've got to make those decisions for yourself, even when you're in a group. Yeah. Definitely. There's so many stories that I've heard from friends around here where they, you know, they, they lost a friend in an avalanche and the story always goes like, you know, they were in, you know, they were with so-and-so big, big avalanche knowledge guy. And they thought he would, he, they thought he was okay with it. So it should be okay. Or they're out with this guide. And it was, you know, they all, there's a lot of that that goes on that leads to bad, bad uh, accidents. So it's, that's as, that's as much, that's as important probably at like just that, the, the human dynamic of like mm-hmm. speaking up about what you're actually feeling is just as important as like knowing a ton about the, sn- the science of the snow, you know? Yep. Yeah. I went to the Utah avalanche workshop. Uh, this is several years ago and they had a guy, uh, he was a commercial airline pilot and he was giving a talk about this exact thing, the communication between the pilot and the co-pilot mm-hmm. and how air accidents have occurred because one person just assumed that the other guy knew a little bit better. Oh, he's got it. He's got it. You know? Yeah. And they end up crashing the plane because actually he didn't have it. You know, he overlooked something and mm-hmm. the, the co-pilot or whoever else was in the cockpit could have helped alert it to him. And by being aware of all of these people contributing to this decision-making is what helps keep people safe. Um, it, it also has its limits too, because I enjoy touring with uh, groups of definitely five and less. Three is preferred, four is cool. I don't tour with more than five because you can't manage that group dynamic effectively in a group bigger than five and you run into problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't they, don't they do a lot of that connection between um, like flight safety people or pilots and like backcountry travel? I've seen like different workshops and different yep. conferences where they bring, they bring in like flight safety speakers. Yeah. It comes up, it comes up a lot with, um, like medical flights, um, like air ambulance services and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's crew resource management and it's huge in avalanche study. And it became really big about, I don't know, five years ago or something like that, um, where people started actually studying these incidents and Colorado avalanche information center, Utah avalanche information center, JH or whatever they got going on up there. Their forecasting site. Yeah. Okay. They've got uh, really extensive resources when it comes to analyzing accidents that have happened in the backcountry. And I've said this before, I don't want to do this on my page and that's not the point to armchair these things yeah. because these guys will go out and guys and girls and people will go out and they will study these incidents and they will write extensive res- reports on what happened. And there's so much that we can learn from these things as yeah. backcountry users um, because there's constantly new information coming out about not just the snow science, but the people science and the interaction between um, groups and people. And this also is a really important thing to consider um, for those that work in the industry, like ski patrol. They talk about this all the time when it comes to group dynamic and making these choices, because when you're doing uh, routes and avalanche mitigation together, 
this is extremely important because those people are deliberately putting themselves in avalanche terrain um, for the purpose of mitigating it for the skiing public. Mm. And the, the dynamic of your team um, factors into the safety. And the same exact thing happens when you're out working at a ski area. If someone's not feeling it, you stop, you reassess because it's important. Yeah, definitely. I love those videos. I follow like the Utah, Utah Avi Center as well, mm-hmm. um, where they go out, you know, you see to, to a pretty pro- a prominent slide and they go out and they're like, they're like up on the crown of it, like showing you compared to a human body, like here's how big it is. Here's um, kind of some other factors we're seeing around this area. What could have, what could have led to this, this thing sliding. And they'd really do a really good breakdown, even though it's not in my area of just like, mm-hmm what they're looking at post slide. That's not a, that's, I think, I think um, that post slide examination is, is not, not mm-hmm. as many people do it as should. Cause they're more thinking, you know, they're thinking about the, the people involved and what, what the result of the slide was, but we can look at after the slides done, why it happened. I think a lot of, you could learn a lot. You, we can learn a lot from that. Yep. And so it's a season long endeavor. I start, paying attention to snow avalanche safety for my own purposes from the very beginning. When it begins to snow um, early season, sometimes we get like September snowstorms that will impact the skiing in late February and so on through the season. And so when it comes to snow observations and a backcountry user, you're constantly observing not just the things that are happening around you, but the things that have happened leading up to that thing through the entire season. It's really important to have an idea of how the season is progressing because each one of these snowstorms and weather cycles and weather events um, impacts your, your snowpack. And having like a, a, a big general um, knowledge base of what's sitting there will help you make better choices in the backcountry. And so it's just a constant like cumulative build up of all this information that happens throughout the season that will help you make better choices when you're actually out in the field. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't remember, I can't count how many times, um, when I, you know, in, in early, early December, like a lot of places out West, we had a pretty dry couple weeks and we had a lot of pretty cold temperatures inversion type stuff here. Um, so then once we started getting snow again around the end of December and into January, I'd be out digging pits and looking at reports and they'd be mentioning, and I'd be seeing this um, facet layer that's at a certain depth. And then I would know, okay, it's from that dry period at the beginning of December. And so that that's why it's break when my tests are breaking in the certain area, that's why these slides are happening at this specific area. So just being in the area and knowing the, knowing what's been going on with the snow levels with the snowpack and, just checking in. I, I, I read the reports every day, even if I'm not going to go out that day mm-hmm. just to see like what they're seeing every day. Cause it's, it's not a, it's a very fluid sort of conditions report, right? Yep. Constantly changing. Yeah. Um, and your snow stability in your snowpack and your avalanche hazard can change by the hour. Uh, if not even faster, when we get into spring cycles and rapid warm up with uh, a high solar maximum and a high angle of repose from your sun, that's contributing to rapid warming of your snowpack. Mm-hmm. You're you could be skinning up and halfway up your, you know, your tour, the conditions can change on you. Yeah. Um, same thing with elevation. You could be really, really high up on the mountain. It's cold, it's windy, seems fine. But as you start getting lower on the mountain, um, where it's a little bit warmer, a little bit more sheltered, boom, it changes. Um, so yeah, the snowpack can change really rapidly. And you know, you're con- like the entire time you're skiing, the entire time you're touring, you're constantly making these observations mm-hmm. um, all around you. It never stops. Like what you said back, once you get back to the car, then you could probably like take a breath, turn your beacon off, turn yeah. your Strava off. Now you can kind of let it down a little bit because you're probably okay now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you're constantly like on, on alert, you know? And yeah, I guess it's a little bit stressful, but um, it's part of that like mental exercise that, you know, kind of completes the whole idea of backcountry turn. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's stressful that just, you know, the idea <laughs> of it is stressful because there's a lot to worry about, but if you're out and you're checking all the right boxes, like that's, 
somewhat calming. And if you're really, if you're putting yourselves, yourself in positions where you're like stressed that something might break under you or because you saw something or something, you know, something might happen, you're probably doing the wrong thing. Yeah. You want to be out and have a, a low stress day because yeah. all these green lights leading up to it. And as you're asking yep. yourself every single moment, what's going on around me? Yep. Cause you did all your work. If you're going out there and you're suddenly getting surprised or you're freaking yourself out, yeah. you didn't do enough of the kind of the back study to prepare yourself for that day. Yeah. Hey, so I got to wrap this up in the next couple of minutes. I need to get the kids from school, but oh, yeah, um, for sure. I'll do one, one, one last question for you if you'd like, if you could. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Uh, I want to say one thing that yeah. <clears throat> I think it's super important that everybody get a, um, take a, a backcountry safety class from an accredited um, provider. There's no real like single one. And I've been asked for recommendations. I don't recommend a specific course. It's whatever that's accessible to you that's in your area. Yeah. Um, and that it's accredited and it's changed a lot since I've gotten my AVI two. Um, there's different like ways that it has become like certified and things like that. But really the point is just to get that backcountry knowledge with your hands-on field study from somebody. And so mm -hmm. that's an excellent first step to getting in the backcountry. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll add to that. If you don't know where to go, if you don't have a connection to a guide company that can do it, go to just your local ski shop and they can probably direct you and put you in the right point in the right direction. Yep. University. I mean, um, Colorado college, um, Colorado avalanche information center. I think like the, uni uh, Western university over here. Mm -hmm. Yep. CMC. There's, um, a lot of the schools in this area offer similar snow safety classes and things like that. So there's a lot of places that you can look for these things. And like I said, it doesn't matter to me, which one you take. I don't even have a preference. Yeah. They didn't even there. I don't, they didn't even have a course when I took my Abby too. It was several years ago. Um, it's like I said, it's changed a whole bunch. So yeah. Yeah. Mine was through Jackson hole mountain guides and air Aerie is the organization mm -hmm. that creates the curriculum, but then they yep. give it to Jackson Hole mountain guides and they did a fantastic job. Yeah. And that's getting more and more consistent. I think a lot of these places are teaching really similar, if not the exact same curriculum. So yeah. Great. Yeah. Great ad. Thank you. Um, so my la my final question is, have yeah. you ever been caught in an avalanche? Yeah, we saved this for the last five minutes. Uh, yes. yes, I have. Um, I've, I've caused many, many avalanches. I, I was caught, um, carried and partially buried in one while working. And it was a really scary experience. And I've had a lot of buddies who have been caught, carried and in avalanches, fully buried. Um, I've been around a lot of avalanche accidents and unfortunately some people who have also lost their lives in avalanches. Um, you know, and that's, um, that's a mistake I hope to never make again. And, uh, yeah, I hope nobody else has to go through that ever. Yeah. Just trying to make the point that it does happen if you're going to be spending time in the back country, even with all the right knowledge, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the right practices, it's just bound to happen. Stuff will happen if you're finding yourself in the back country a lot is the only point I was trying to make with that. <laughs> Not That's like exactly it. right, man. If you, um, if you spend your time walking around avalanches, um, you're putting yourself at risk yeah. of avalanches, you know? Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, everything went right, um, in the worst case scenario and, uh, it turned out okay, but, um, it's extremely dangerous and mm -hmm. yeah, people often ask themselves like, what is the point? Why in the world do we take these risks? But you know, why do you do what you do? Why does anybody do what we do? Yeah. If we, but if we're we all about risk, yeah. If we're all trying about lowering risk, no, nobody would ever leave their house. So yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Great. I will, I will let you go. Um, if you could, uh, just sign off with telling them where to find you on, on TikTok, And if you have any other websites or anything you'd like to direct people to, you can say those now. Okay. Yeah. So I've got most of my stuff. Well, that's not a good one. Um, so you can find me at backcountry 101 on TikTok. I post a lot of backcountry safety videos. Mm -hmm. I've got a link on that, that, uh, that will take you to some other content with, mm -hmm. um, ski columns and other writing that I've done on the subject of backcountry stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of the main avenue for this whole thing. Um, it just kind of started as a TikTok profile because the the video um, capabilities and editing make it a great platform for sharing these backcountry safety videos. So I think that would probably be the best thing. The rest of it's just a whole bunch of other personal stuff, you know. Um, yeah, but you, you want to get do it all. Yeah, if you want to get in contact with them, message me. I'll tag I'll tag him in the social post and all that good stuff. So you can find him with us on Instagram because you can't. You can't message on TikTok unless you both follow each other. So, yeah, that's right, man. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> so TikTok. Yeah, if anybody's coming thing. through this podcast to try to get connected to you, John, I'll I'll get him connected. We'll get them. We'll get them settled. Yeah. If you need me to say that again, I I kind of fumbled through that. I could say it again. Backcountry um, one hundred and one. Yeah. If you need, well, okay. Here we go. Now I'm all like kind of feeling on the spot. <laughs> you can, so you can find all this stuff on Backcountry one hundred and one. That's basically the only place that i've got this um this whole ski profile with uh, the videos because the tiktok is a, a really great place to edit and put together all this backcountry safety so mm-hmm. backcountry 101 is the site and then there's some other links that you can uh, find me from there yeah definitely so everyone go follow him go take an avi one class be safe in the backcountry but also have fun right that's right stay safe in the backcountry all right everyone thanks for listening see you, see you next week